everybody. Welcome to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a huge fan of Avatar. And I am Todd Micah. I'm the author of Tales from Grimguard, an anthology of dark fantasy, as well as the Grimguard role-playing game. And I have never watched Avatar The Last Airbender. So, yeah, that's that's interesting because Avatar is one of the most beloved animated shows of all time. I honestly, like, I have been, just so you guys have an idea of what this podcast is and how it came to be, I have been telling Todd, my dear friend, for years that he needs to watch Avatar. Like, I was so shocked when he told me that he had never watched it because both he and I are huge fans of fantasy and Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and all of these very, you know, not similar, but like, they have similar core elements that make them these stories that stand the test of time and all that. And I think the avatar like embodies all those core elements so well, but like they aren't just there for families, you know, it's a family show. And so, you know, I really wanted to finally get Todd to watch this show. And I kind of pitched this idea to him that like, Hey, what if we did a podcast together where we watch the episodes, you know, we'll do two episodes per podcast and we just kind of talk about it because this is what we do. Like we will just talk nonstop about films and television shows that we're watching and just, you know, any kind of media that we consume, we'll just talk at length about it. And why not just make that a like a podcast because people like listening to that kind of stuff, hopefully. <laughs> Sitting and dissecting films and media that way is is always been the meat and potatoes between you and me. So, they, I mean, the, when we sit here and we intend to be to be on a call for, oh yeah, we'll just chat for an hour, and the next yeah. thing we know, three hours have gone by, and we're like, yeah, yeah, we got lost somewhere along the way. So this this podcast okay. is our therapy to keep us focused on one thing. We'll see how long that works for. For sure. Our ADD brains can only take so much. Um, but we're, yeah. we're already we're already so far off script at this point. So oh, <laughs> welcome yeah. to the show, everyone. <laughs> hey, welcome. Um, so, Todd, would you like to start us out on our episode stats? Yeah. So uh, so the the first two episodes is what we're doing of the show, which, as I've already said, I, I kind of reject the format internally that it's in episodes one and two. They're just parts one and two of episode one, really. And, and because and I love that. I'm loving that format of the show. So um, but the episode stats for The Boy in the Iceberg and The Avatar Returns. A lot of these are going to be surprises to me because I don't know a lot of who is behind the show. I came in completely blind on, mm -hmm. on this show. So so there's going to be a lot of things that are going to surprise me. I know it's amazing. I know it's highly acclaimed. Um, but the people behind it, I know are going to shock me. So uh, let's see. Uh, it is written by Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Kanyetsko. Uh, have know, they worked hard. on anything notable that I should know? Um, so this was their first major thing. Like mm -hmm. they were working at Nickelodeon as um, I believe animators for Invader Zim and some of the other animated shows that were coming out at the time. Okay. Um, Rocco's Modern World was another one I know. And so they basically, as they were working together, they went to college together and they, um, you know, they were just really good friends and they ended up working at Nickelodeon together. And 
while they were working on Rocco's Modern World and Invader Zim, they kind of came up with this idea um, to pitch to the head or the higher ups at Nickelodeon. And um, it it was actually very similar to what we see now, because oftentimes pitches change, you know, as, through production and all that. But mm -hmm. um, basically the idea was that, yeah, there were four nations, you know, water, earth, fire and air. And there was one person that was able to bend all four elements and they were kind of like the Jesus of the world. Like he, they was the savior and the one that everyone looked up to. He was the avatar. Uh -huh. Yeah. And, um, and that whole, the whole idea of that show kind of spawned from, you know, basically that idea. And so, hmm. um, yeah. And they, there's actually an entire, um, I'll be sure to send it to you, but there's an entire 30 minute documentary called spirits. Um, which is actually details all of the production of Avatar. And it's one of my favorite documentaries I've ever seen because they go so in depth into talking about just every facet of the production of the show from, you know, the very beginning when they pitched it all the way up until the first episode aired. And it's kind of like crazy. you're doing right now because all, we've only gotten to who has written this episode <laughs> and I from I'm already taking now notes of a documentary I need to write. This is this is why you put the the, the fresh blood in the same room with the super fan. So exactly. I can be immediately overwhelmed with all this trivia and media. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and I tried to keep this all out of the fun facts, but it's coming out, so whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that kind of is the birth and conception of um, you know Avatar was with these two creators, the Michael okay. Dante, you know, and Brian Knitsko. Okay, cool. Um, just as trivia for myself for the future, did they write every episode? No, so they are they are the um, head writers and creators of the show, right? And I know that they've written quite a fair bit of the episodes, but since there's mm -hmm. 61 episodes in the show total, um, they did not do all of them. They actually had a staff of about three or four major writers, um, one of which is Aaron E. Haas, which is one of my favorites. He wrote some of my wow. favorite episodes. Um, and so, yeah, they, they had a small staff of writers, but they did have a hand at some of the episode writings. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. See how much I've learned already. <laughs> This this is this is where we peel. I, I had a great time watching the first two episodes, but now now it all starts to get peeled back. <laughs> and now this is why we do. This is also why we do it after the episode because if we were doing it during, it, we would get a little bit into the show and it would say written by. You'd be like, okay, pause it. I continue to tell right. you about these guys. Yep, uh, that's all right. We wouldn't be able to focus on the actual episode. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, it is directed by in a name that I definitely know, Dave Filoni. It's your boy, Dave Filoni. It's your boy, Dave Filoni, with the hat that never comes off. Yep. And this was <laughs> the first, I believe this was the first major thing he did, too. Like, this Are was his stuff for directing, and Avatar is what actually caused George Lucas to, to not, I was going to say fire him, Jesus, um, to hire <laughs> him for Clone Wars <laughs> because uh -huh. he saw how like concise of a storyteller he was. He, and, like, he just walked on to Avatar. He's like, you're fired from Avatar and you're hired on Star Wars. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, honestly, it's kind of true because Dave Filoni only worked on the first season, I believe, um, if I'm if I remember correctly. So he might have actually very well done that. Been like, hey, kid, you got a pretty good eye. You're very talented. Like, come on over to Star Wars. Maybe <laughs> like, I, I, I'm imagining the exchange between them being like George Lucas, where he's just like, 
and I, I have the power to save your career from certain death. And Grifo is like, what did you say? You were the director of Star Wars that they've been looking for. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I hope you guys really like Star Wars. <laughs> You're going to hear so much of this. So yeah, the, this is an Avatar podcast for Star Wars fans because we're also both giant Star Wars nerds. She had to find a fandom okay. that I'm not familiar with to make this. <laughs> oh, for sure. And like, not only just because we're huge Star Wars fans and the freaking episode is directed by, you know, the director and creator of Clone Wars, but um, the creators, Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konitzko, they have said openly that they were actively... Um, well, what's the word I'm looking for? They were inspired by Star Wars and um, they are actively certain beats from the films and from, um, you know, the, well, the films at that point, because there weren't shows, but from the films they took and put into the show. Um, and I think the more we get into the show, you'll start to see that really show its head. Oh, well, I've, well, I've already, I've already picked up on a few <laughs> themes already oh, as yeah. we're watching it. So, it is very, we, which very I, similar. which I will talk more about when we actually get into the oh, episode yeah, itself. Wait. So, <laughs> um, it's animated. Right. It's animated by JM Animation. But are they notable for anything else besides Avatar? Don't say Legend of Korra. No, um, they. I believe, and don't quote me on this, I should have done a bit more of, of research on JM anim animation, but I believe that they did Cowboy Bebop, I think, um, which I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that was an <laughs> I, Cowboy Bebop is only my favorite anime of all time, but I don't know a bunch oh. of behind the scenes trivia, so I don't know which studio made it. So we'll revisit that point at some point. Yeah, I, I think it was. I'm pretty sure because I know for a fact that they also took a, a ton of inspiration from Cowboy Bebop in certain uh, episodes. So, you know, that very well might be the truth. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But yes, this was also one of their first big um, Western animation uh, shows right. that they worked on because obviously this was done by Nickelodeon. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, even though it was animated on the Eastern half of the world it was for a western audience so it was right. their first western audience show that they worked on the uh it says both episodes aired together on february 21st 2005 on nickelodeon imdb the imdb rating for the boy in the iceberg was eight out of ten very mm -hmm. cool nice and the imdb rating for the avatar returns is 8.2 out of 10. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, think, I don't think that those uh, ratings personally are accurate, but I think it is accurate that the Avatar Returns, not to spoil, is a better episode than The Boy in the Iceberg personally. Like, I find it more engaging. But, um, so yeah, it is, it's so interesting to me, though, that, like, the very first episodes are so highly rated. Like, you know, that is hard, especially for children's animation, to get that high of a rating. Mm -hmm. Um you know, in your first go around. And so that just, I really like looking at the, not the IMDb ratings are everything, obviously, but to me, they're some of the most accurate. Um, yeah. Cause you just, you know, it, there's a lot of people voting on that kind of stuff. So, you know, it really shocked me when I saw how highly rated they were. I was like, wow, the rest of the episodes must be nines and above because wow, these aren't even, <laughs> like episodes, but wow. Well, it makes me even more curious now since you included that trivia with every episode or every pair of episodes here that uh, we'll see. We'll see what the IMDb ratings for them are. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So uh, now that we're done with the stats, I thought that I would just give out some fun facts for you and for our audience. Oh, please do. Uh, so the initial title of the first episode, The Boy in the Iceberg, was The Boy with the Tattoos. Hmm. So yeah, it kind of is giving me girl with the dragon tattoo vibes. Yeah, me too. Go with it. <laughs> um, not that it's not a bad title. It's it's an interesting title, but I feel like the boy in the iceberg just kind of brings up more questions and like it's more of an engaging title. Like I love looking at title names because mm -hmm. like you can generally you can get an idea of what the episode's going to be about or like what they're going to focus on through mm -hmm. the title. Um, and so, you know, I I do really like the boy in the iceberg. So I'm glad they didn't use the boy with the tattoos. Um, now, when you say it was the initial title, was it the initial title when it first aired, or was it that was the first idea that they had, but they didn't syndicate it with that title? Yeah, I think it was supposed to be the original idea for the name of the title, but they decided that Boy with in the Iceberg sounded more appealing and more mysterious, so they probably changed Agreed. it before they actually aired it. Um, so, second fun fact. This is the first collaboration between director Dave Filoni, our boy, and the voice actor D. Bradley Baker, who would later join Filoni's Star Wars Clone Wars series, voicing multiple characters, including Captain Rex and all of the clone characters. So, oh, okay, well, yeah. which 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 actor which character does he voice? Well, in typical D. Bradley Baker style, he voices multiple characters, uh -huh. and none of them, at least not in Avatar, um, are like actual humans they are all animals he voices appa oh. and mo <laughs> <laughs> okay all right i promise like the more we get in you're gonna be like wow what like it's crazy how he's able to create such characters by just making these weird animal noises like mm -hmm. for appa and, Momo, and some of the other animal characters as well that we'll meet um, he does voice a couple like minor, minor characters, like background characters, but those are the two major roles that he does in Avatar. Um, he voices an actual human, surprisingly, in Legend of Korra, and it's it's a fantastic performance. But that, I mean, he that, earned like, it. I mean, they're like, I can imagine they're, they're like, okay, so here's the deal: if you can do enough good animal noises for an entire show, we'll let you be a character. An actual human character in the next show. And he's like, okay, sounds good. I mean, sure. heck, Alan Tudyk was the chicken in Moana. So, oh, um... yeah. Yeah, it's very similar. They are just really good at making animal noise. <laughs> um, I shout out to Alan Tudyk. He's from Texas. I love him. I'm also from Texas for anybody that doesn't know, which is probably most people listening. Right. Um, right. Yeah, we love him. Anyway, <laughs> um, let's see. A scene from, so we kind of already mentioned this, but a scene from the first episode, The Boy in the Iceberg, was ranked number 24 in the 100 Greatest Moments in Nicktoon History ranking. Now, the crazy thing about this is that I could not, for the life of me, find um. what the actual scene was that was ranked. <laughs> like, I, sh I swear, I looked everywhere. I looked through all these archive folders on Nick, and I just... I could not find it. All I could find was that this was one of the up or not one of the episodes. One of the scenes was ranked number 24 out of a hundred. And I'm, I'm like, going to assume it's the part where the giant flying bison sneezes. Yes. All over Sokka. I'm, I'm positive. That must be it. That makes sense. It does. 
if I had to guess, I would assume that it actually was the scene of Katara breaking open the uh, glacier. Cause that was, you could not go five minutes on Nick back in the day without seeing that image, yeah. you know, yeah, no, it was almost kind of like, it was like the Goku going super Saiyan from Dragon Ball Z, where it's just iconic yeah. scene, especially the fact that it's this giant burst of light. I mean, I, I thought that was breathtaking. So, I mean, oh, yeah. So I assume it's that because I really can't think of anything else it, from the first episode that that would be. But yeah, that that image is very iconic of Aang and Appa floating in the you know iceberg and Katara breaking it open. So I assume it's that. Um, and then finally, though Boy in the Iceberg was the first officially blech, officially released episode of Avatar, there is actually an unaired pilot of Avatar that can be watched on YouTube. And really? I've watched it and it's not very good. <laughs> It's not terrible, but it's just like, it's one of those concept pilots, you know what I mean? Where it's like, they, it's not like an actual episode. It's basically okay. like, all right, we got to introduce all these characters and they're in the middle of a big action scene because we got to show off the animation. Uh -huh. um, and it's, it's really more of a concept pilot, which I get because they had like no budget. They had no time to make it. This is all part mm. of the spirit documentary that I was telling you about. Yeah. Um, and so they, this was what they used to basically pitch the show to Nick. Like mm -hmm. they pitched it and Nick gave them a very small, um, uh, I guess they gave them a very small budget to be able mm -hmm. to work on about a 10 minute pilot. Um, and this is what they came up with. And Nick was like, all right, this is good enough. We'll give you an actual budget and actual time to work on this. Um, yeah, it's it's very interesting because a lot of the the skeleton of the characters and the story are there but they are like bare bones skeleton. <laughs> like there's no subtlety, no nuance. It's basically just, these are the characters here, are like one or two defining traits about them. That's it. Like, right. It's just, it's, it's more, it's more of a again, pitch. It's fun to watch and just kind of compare. Right. Exactly. It's a pitch deck basically. So yeah. Um, yeah. If you guys want to go check it out, it's, it's very interesting to watch and see and compare, you know, the two. Um, so yeah, that's all we have for fun facts. So nice. I guess we will dive right into the first episode the boy with the ice <laughs> the boy in the iceberg god the boy with the iceberg tattoos yes <laughs> god that would be such a bad tattoo <laughs> my initial reaction to the first episode was first of all i'm it's gonna sound funny because I, i'm sure to anybody they're going to be like well of course when i when i say this but the first episode is very it's very endearing. Like it endeared me to the characters almost instantly. And and taking taking Aang out of the out of the equation for a moment because he doesn't even actually appear and start speaking until you know, a third of the way through the episode. Mm. So I don't know. Knowing nothing about how these characters evolve and develop from here on out, I'm just gonna say something that I don't know if this will surprise anyone or not, but it surprised me. I'm building this up quite a bit. So I've watched enough anime to know sort of the archetypes that characters are going to fit into. I, mm -hmm. I, I know I'm just like, okay, this person is very, the strong moral compass of the group. This person is the gifted person who kind of saves everybody a lot of the time. This person is the sarcastic, cynical person of the group. And so, you know, Sokka being the, the butt of a lot of the humor in, in the episode, I actually found him, though, in, in a, on a very serious note, I found him to be 
a very strong character right mm-hmm. away. I was oh, yeah. actually amazed because I was certain that, as it is in a lot of anime, that the the sort of the comedic character, the guy who gets who gets the butt of all the jokes and the bad stuff happens to him for laughs, that he's kind of a flimsy character, that he's just kind of there, that he's kind of a background character, or that he's just kind of his only, that he's kind of useless otherwise. Mm-hmm. But Wyosoka wasn't exactly effective in in the episodes. He he's a good guy he's 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 the oldest he's the oldest boy mm-hmm. left in his village and darn it he is doing his absolute best he's to try he's trying to keep the ship going straight he's trying to protect everybody and while he fails at it his heart is in an amazingly good place and it's like kudos to the show right off the bat for not making me roll my eyes and be like, oh yeah, here's the Stooge character. He, mm-hmm. he he was the butt of the humor, but he was a really, really good, solid character. So like full props for making me respect all the characters equally right off the bat. Oh yeah, and for sure. And I'm, <laughs> it literally makes me so happy that you mentioned Sokka first, because Sokka is, aside from Zuko, and we'll get to him, he is my second favorite character in the entire show. Is <laughs> he? he? Is okay. My- yeah, no, He's, like the want like Zuko. I love him. Like, obviously, I love my brooding bad boys, as we all know. Um, <laughs> but Sokka is like who I would actually want to like marry. Like, he is everything I love in characters and in people. Like, you know, yeah, he is. He's this, um, you know, sarcastic but of a joke that often he, the jokes happen because, like, at the ex- at his own expense. Yeah, and. So, you know, I love that. And I love that he is kind of an asshole. Like, he's kind of a misogynistic asshole in these first two episodes, you know, by talking down to Katara and just, you know, his younger sister. And, you know, he doesn't believe in all this, oh, mystical mumbo jumbo, whatever. Like, he doesn't but he's kind of, but he's kind of Han Solo rogue that way, where he's oh, like, sure. yeah, I'm in it for money. And listen, princess, I take orders from myself. And yeah, I don't believe in this force stuff. Like, he has that real rogue bend right off the bat. But his heart of gold isn't buried deep down. It's right there on his sleeve. Yeah. He's trying to be responsible. He's trying to honor, you know, his father's wishes for everybody to be kept safe. He's willing to put himself on the line to save people like he's he's good he may not want to rescue some random kid buried in an iceberg but like you know but that's all because he thinks that he might you know be a trap it might be a trap from the fire nation right exactly he's not he's not well see he well see he's not like the stereotypical older brother character who's like yeah you guys are losers you guys are stupid and this is pointless because it's boring and dumb and i don't believe what you're doing is important he's just literally paranoid for everybody else he's just trying to keep them safe and doesn't want to rock the boat and and it's good it's really it's not really talked about that often in the Avatar fandom, but like Sokka and Katara are genuinely traumatized by what they've been through. Yeah. And they respond to it in different ways. You know, Sokka is the protective, you know, leader. He's the tribe. He wants to be in charge. He wants to protect the people he cares about. Um, he's very skeptical. He doesn't like change. Um, while Katara takes on the role of the mother, the caregiver. Right. You know, she is very, she's very protective as well, but in a totally softer, different way than her brother. Right. Um, 
she's very loving and warm and open and she is she's the one that wants change you know right. she's the one that oh, yeah. so into the village when Sokka's like what are you doing like he could be a bad guy like no what i like about katara is that katara has has an interesting duality to her because she has this sort of she has this sort of like hesitance and and fear about things that that you know i mean i kind of want to talk about both the episodes as one like we can talk about the one but like it's it's one big story yeah, but i mean they're basically just part one part two so exactly 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 and so like it, 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 fast forwarding a bit to when they are going to go to the um the the, the old battleship the old yeah. fire nation battleship fire that's they're stuck yeah. in the ice and and she's afraid at first but ang is just like well we can't have any fear and that's that, that's it that's all he has to throw at her mm-hmm. and she has this you know i'm clinging to home that we know immediately is a character flaw of hers that needs to be overcome mm-hmm. she has to be comfortable and be fearless and be brave and go into the outside world but but i like that there's this duality of her versus everyone else mm-hmm. it's a very complex thing to put in and, and and it's a strong theme for female characters in 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 media this sort of do i do I quiet down my ambitions and do I put what I personally want and need aside for quote unquote the the betterment of other people? Or is the betterment of other people actually just a, a toxic, you know, uh inability to change or a fear of the future? Or it, are we just rutted in tradition in a way where, you know, like you were saying about Soka, how he's misogynistic and he pretty much is just like, yeah, you aren't gonna become a waterbender because you're a girl pretty much Mm -hmm. but it's not like thrown in your face in such a way that that's the main point of it because obviously her grandmother doesn't really think that but her grandmother's Mm -hmm. attached to these old ways where she doesn't want anything to change and so katara's motivation to go is when she finally gets fed up and takes ang by the hand pretty much and is like nope we're going we're gonna go to the north pole we're we're going to go away because i need something and and i really like that and i'm interested to see how that evolved with her character as well i found that to be one of the most interesting things about her is her motivation to break away oh yeah for sure and um it's interesting because you didn't really mention it but one of the first things that we see her do in the episode in the first five minutes is she is the one that breaks ang free from the um from the iceberg but the way she she got to that point is because she was laying into her brother yeah. Like she was just Mae Whitman, who voices Katara, fantastic actress, and her voice acting in that particular part when she's just like just going at him, going for the jugular because she's so pissed off at her brother and being such an asshole and like not taking her craft of bending seriously. Mm-hmm. Like when she's trying to help him to get, you know, to catch a fish, right. like it's so great and i love that it really because this is something that will pop up a lot is like katara is such a sweetheart she is so loving so caring but she has a very angry side to her and it comes up a lot um see that's another thing i like about the duality of her character where i'm seeing this duality immediately is also exactly just what you just said where she has this compassion and she wants to help people and she's a very soft heart but i really think it's a great 
<laughs> she will not take your shit. Yes, exactly. So there's a, there's a certain point where her compassion, where her kindness is treated for weakness. And, mm-hmm. and, and to, to show that, that that isn't where it comes from, that she has this anger inside, it, it's a key to her power, but for her to be angry is a real indication of you see the way that her her softness and her, her her kindness has been has been abused or the fact that she has a tender heart and as you said there's a lot of trauma where there's a lot of pent-up frustration in, in her because she is a sensitive person yeah and i think that you know and it, it's kind of explored later in the season but katara kind of feels locked in the traditions of the southern water tribe where she lives with her brother mm. and you know, when she goes with Aang at the end of, you know, when they go with Aang at the end of the episode, they are breaking away from everything that they've known, you know, about life and about family and home. And so that kind of, it resonates up until, you know, the end of the season when we finally get to our final destination and she sees just how locked in tradition certain places are. And like, sometimes that's a good thing. And sometimes that's a very negative thing, just depending on where they go. And, it's just kind of interesting. No spoilers. No spoilers. No, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> but, you know, just breaking away from tradition. And that that's a big thing for Katara this first season um, and kind of redefining what women in this world can do. And it's not at all like it, it's kind of amazing that they were able to go for this kind of like, you know, Sokka being an asshole misogynist in the first couple episodes and, you know, this whole oh, women stay and cook and clean and all that. And like, but it doesn't feel at all forced and it doesn't feel at all like preaching. You know what I mean? Like it just, it's the way the world is. And now she's breaking off from it. She is, you know, going somewhere where that's not the case. And she's getting a new taste of life and all that with with her brother and Aang. So it's it's really fascinating. Which is is a really organic way to handle those types of things and to to do that in storytelling. And and I mean, you know, good foreshadowing. Thanks for not spoiling any details. (laughs) Um, But, you know, but it is really good because, you know, I've said a hundred times that, you know, it's great for a hundred times to you anyway, that, you know, it's great for shows to take a stand on messages. But like you say, if they seem preachy and it seems like we almost stop the show and it really feels like the writers are leaning through the screen to tell you something, it just comes off as tacky. And and one of the most organic ways in storytelling to, to do that is exactly what you said. Instead of having them get super, super upset about the way things are, while they are there physically in their situation where they are you know held down or suppressed or or whatever you you immediately take them out of that and expand their mind and use the heroic journey to have them explore and learn that there are other places where things are different because at home at home is where you grew up and that's your entire world as far as you're concerned the whole world probably works that way and if it doesn't it's crazy and so oh, for yeah. her to have that opportunity to go out is 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 awesome. And I, I'm I'm happy to say also, kind of shifting over to talk about Aang for a bit, um, mm-hmm. is that I Aang is <laughs> I know, is that I is like. that he's he's a great portal into that because already he's challenging her internal boundaries where she's, as I mentioned, afraid to go on the warship and he's just like, Well, you have to overcome fear. It's the first thing we we learn. You wanna be a bender, you gotta let go of fear. <laughs> I, I love totally true. I think he just really wanted to go on the ship. <laughs> <laughs> kind of I love his sort of like mischievous side, which I love. I love Aang. I love Aang. And I gotta tell you, 
he is the character that and it's probably intentionally so probably it's probably intentionally so because um that he is the character that has the least amount of explored depth he oh, is like sure. he's the one that the little kids watching the show are going to connect with the most because he 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 i was laughing during the show and i wrote down this note afterward and i thought to myself how did they make ang instantly likable and they have three main factors i keyed into that make ang this is your formula for yes. making characters instantly likable one make them helpful Hopeful with no nothing to gain from it whatsoever. Hey, right. you guys are stuck and your boat's broken. No problem. My flying bison will give us a ride. There's nothing in it for him. He doesn't bargain with them. He's not like, I'll help you if you help me. He doesn't want anything from them except mm -hmm. to help them. Characters who are unconditionally helpful are immediately likable. Number two, he is, by construct of his character, he is oblivious. Mm -hmm. And any character who is oblivious is naturally harmless right. he he doesn't really know what's going on yeah he doesn't know where he is he doesn't really know what's going on he doesn't even know when he is mm -hmm. at first and because of that he can have no ulterior motive he can't be planning anything because he doesn't know anything and so it right. immediately disarms any actual suspicion. And so we know that all of Sokka's, you know, fears about, oh, what if he's a spy for the, you know, it, we all know that that's unfounded. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so it makes us immediately go, oh, of course he's their friend because he doesn't know anything. Right. <laughs> Clueless characters are always friendly. You can always trust them. And thirdly of all, and I love this, I love this in, in any kind of writing. He loves animals. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Just make him love animals. And, he, and the audience is immediately like, okay, he's a good guy. He rides this oh, giant sure. cuddly beast. He wants to go penguin sledding. Look at him. Yeah, he's like, I think there is like such a childlike innocence to him. Like, that's not really found in Katara or Sokka because they have gone through so much more than he has at this point. Or at least he's gone through a lot. But he doesn't realize it until later. Um, so he still has that almost like he's never been out in the world. He's never experienced, you know, trauma like Tara and Sokka have that have hardened them a bit and have mm -hmm. kind of lost that innocence and that fun that they had probably as children. Um, but Aang still has it because he is so, you know, flighty and so carefree and so loving just immediately. Um, and, you know, I think that that is something that he really does hold on to throughout the series, which is great because even though, you know, obviously things have to happen to him, you know, bad stuff has to happen. Otherwise there wouldn't be a Thanks story. Thanks spoiler, man. <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Let's see. Katara learns about other places besides her own. Aang never turns dark and twisted into the anti-hero. <laughs> I was hoping he would. Stuff. Okay. Darn it. <laughs> Well, I guess we can stop watching now. <laughs> uh, that's it. First episode, last episode. No, uh, <laughs> um, no. It's it's. I want to jump on the point that you just made about his his childlike innocence and how it's a great storytelling point because on a deeper level, I I agree with you that for the characters, it challenges Katara and Sokka to, yeah, sure they're following him for you know to help him and because you know he's the enemy of the Fire Nation and. It's kind of an enemy of my enemy thing too, where it's like, well, 
he's really good at fighting the fire nation so of course we want to be on this guy's side he's he's right. great and he likes to be friends with us um but also uh, on a deeper level an unspoken level i think that there is that that restoration of their innocence a sort of healing presence that ang has that's expressed in one really good moment from the second episode where they're like you know what we had while he was here we had fun mm -hmm. we weren't just trying to figure out how to survive and stressing over training the kids when they weren't on potty break and 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 you know we weren't all stressing about how to do it like we didn't argue we were fine we we yeah. had a great time with this kid because he brought something back to us that we lost right exactly and i think that that yeah <laughs> i don't know what i was gonna say but yes no i i love that line because and Sokka's counter to that is we can't fight the fire nation with fun and Hank's just like why don't you try it sometime like, yeah no it was it, it was great what like what a great bunch of dialogue right there because exactly as you say there's that counter of like the the adult he's trying to be mm -hmm. that comes out of him where he's like fun isn't allowed because we have a war on our hands and right. Aang challenges in that great way where he's like maybe we can fight a war with fun I love that. I love because oh, now, so now I now I kind of want Prince Zuko to have like that Grinch moment where he's like, but maybe maybe fire bending doesn't have to be from a war. Fire bending perhaps is a little bit more. <laughs> and Prince Zuko's heart, well, in the Fire Nation they say his <laughs> small oh heart grew three sizes that day. He gained the power of ten firebenders plus two. Oh my god. We're just going full Dr. Seuss now. <laughs> um, well, that's actually a really good transition to my love of my life, Zuko. My prince, my boy, I love him so much. And it might be hard to see why in the first couple episodes, because he is an absolute... Oh. Well, oh, oh no, I know you well enough to know exactly why it is, Amanda. I know exactly why. Yeah. He walked in the room and I'm just like, oh yeah, there's her boyfriend immediately. There's my proto Kylo Ren. You know what my uh, favorite line my favorite line of his was though? I think I know what it is, but go ahead and say it. I don't I don't think you do. My really? favorite one is after he after they catch Aang. And immediately his next phrase is, if I have it quite right word for word, is set course for the Fire Nation. I'm going home. And I'm just like, oh man. Oh yeah. <laughs> he this guy is immediately just like, all right, I'm done with this. I've been a C for years. I'm a teenage yeah. boy. I just want to go home. Like Mission I wanna uh, I wanna oh. go home. I want some pizza rolls. I wanna play some League of Legends. I need to just <laughs> let me just crash in my room for a bit. Can I do that? Because my favorite that is a good one. Um my favorite though is <laughs> Dante Bosco, who voices Prince Zuko and also played Rufio in Hook for anyone that did not know. Um his line reading of I don't need any calming tea. <laughs> it's the most hilarious thing to me. I don't know why. It cracks me up every single time. Just the absolute contempt in his voice and just the so you, shouting. See, see, you like angry Zuko. I like passive aggressive Zuko. <laughs> I well, yes. 
my head cannon. So, so one of the things I found myself doing that makes me enjoy Zuko so much is that I, I have, I have this head cannon that he, he, he was dragged out of a much darker and grittier anime and was like coerced to be in like a kid show. And he's just there like angry the entire time. <laughs> Just rolling his eyes, he's like, "All right, we need to find the Avatar." Like groaning internally because he knows it's like a twelve-year-old free-spirited kid with a flying buffalo, and he's like, "Oh, but I'm going to be brooding. I'm going to bring a dark side to this show. I'm just so angry, but I have to be here." Well, and that's actually um, speaking of Aang's age. That's one of my favorite exchanges in the two episodes. Is when you know they're Aang and uh, Zuko are so. Wow. Aang and Zuko are circling each other. There we go. And, um, you know, Zuko's all like, I've spent years training, meditating. You're just a child. And Aang retorts, you're just a teenager. <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> that shit cracks me up because it's so true. And you may not even realize it when you first watch it. But yeah, Zuko is supposed to be, I believe, 15, 15 or 16, one of those two. And like, it doesn't seem like it because he's like, obviously in control of this ship, you know, he's at a very high level um, commanding this ship and he's obviously got training and, you know, he's a great bender and yeah, you just wouldn't expect it. And his voice, you know, doesn't really give off a teenage aura. I guess that's not the right word, but anyway, um, it just, everything <laughs> about screams that he's not a teenager except for maybe his temper tantrums. Oh and... no, he's no, he's he's 100% like Gen Z on the deck, but he is like a boomer on the inside. He's just <laughs> angry all the time. He's like, "Look what this world has come to. I can't believe he's... kids these days." He's an angry old man wondering <laughs> when his social security <laughs> is going to kick in on the inside. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I I love him so much. I one so I love his design too. Cause like it is one, it's kind of like Aang with his arrow. It's instantly iconic when you see his scar and his ponytail. Oh yeah. Um, they pay a lot of attention to like the eye scar thing, which is super, super cool. I really, I like to believe that he was just like playing with fire one time and just kind of aimed it at himself and just like, wow. And, and he, and he has some huge story of how it happened, but he actually just bended himself. He, he bended himself in the eye. I was like skiing on some mountains and then, <laughs> I, I was having a great day until the fire nation attacked exactly um yeah so i i just love how I, instantly iconic the look is i love that the scar is so big and so pronounced like you know and not that this is a diss against these kind of things but like say for kylo ren you know he he got a big scar on his face from ray but they kind of reduced it to basically nothing. Like it really, if you didn't, if you weren't looking for it, you would never notice it was there because they just make it so thin, so non. They make they they make it as aesthetically pleasing of the like oh this character has this this very cool looking scar. I like the big ugly scar. You know. Oh yeah. There's you know there's something just so interesting about a child like a literal teenager character having such a terrible scar on his face yeah. and you're just kind of left wondering like where did he get that like why does he have that why you know and it just kind of asks you end up asking all these questions and don't worry you'll get the answers to them but um, I, I still it, think he was just shot himself in the eye by accident 
Um, so, so, so two things about, about Prince Zuko that I really like, and I'm going to put what was going to be my second point first. Now, um, uh, speaking about the scar, it's great because it's a very silent storytelling, um, cornerstone with him to set that up because even though we don't know the story behind it, we know that he has the scar for a reason and it immediately as you say, he doesn't seem like a teenager. It immediately ages him because it, in contrast to Aang, his innocence is gone. Not just because he is very jaded and, and, and everything, as is, as is shown many ways, but because he's been through stuff. Aang literally has his childhood preserved in mm -hmm. ice he is a but... child and that childlike spirit as we said lives on with him prince zuko on the other hand is prematurely aged he's you know as as batman says you know i haven't been a child since i was 12 years old or whatever he says it, it's yeah. kind of that it's kind of that same concept he has been forced into an adult role and it brings me to what was going to be my first point and is now my second which is i love in general in storytelling i love child rulers i think it is an amazing narrative tool to show somebody prematurely thrust into a place of responsibility that's too much for them or too much burden placed upon them or too much power given to somebody who's irresponsible like, there's a million ways to spin it but mm -hmm. i think it's so challenging for a viewer or a reader at a psychological level to process do i accept this do i think this is a good thing or is mm -hmm. this a horrible horrible idea and can only end badly for everybody i i yeah. I, I i love that and, and i really love prince zuko for that reason yeah no i it's funny you mentioned that i actually agree i don't know why but i've always found in fiction when you have children in leadership positions or you know royal positions whatever it does kind of interest me. It sparks my interest. Like one of the first ones I can remember actively thinking, oh, I kind of like that idea was <laughs> from Never Ending Story, the childlike empress. Um, I remember being so shocked when I first watched that movie and it was just a kid that was like basically my age. I'm like, wh what? <laughs> like this completely throws out the window what I was expecting. Like, <laughs> and it shocked me, but I, like, I loved it. I was like, wow. I could be that. Like yeah. I could be a ruler of a magical land. <laughs> <laughs> you could be anything you our generations are great. Kids, you can be president and if you want to be. Or you can be an empress of a magical land. You don't even have to grow up to do that. <laughs> exactly. Um, life is what you make it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like I totally get what you're saying. And yeah, just having this young prince of the Fire Nation, you know. And it kind of makes you wonder, okay, well, if he's a prince, what is he doing, you know, on this, on the other side of this world, looking for someone that everyone believes is already dead? Like, no one believes that the Avatar has come back until, you know, obviously he shows up. And so you're kind of like, is he just chasing this, like, I don't know, dream? Like, what, what is, why is he doing that? Like, right. it kind right. of opens up the question. Um so yeah i i love it i love him i love him <laughs> yeah no the the show, the strength of the show the more you watch him. <laughs> yeah the strength of the show so far is definitely you know the characters and as i've said you know many times in our talks you know character characters drive story 
that that's mm -hmm. the end of it you can have a great concept you can have amazing world building you can have amazing art and voice talent and all these different things whatever kind of media you're putting out there but the characters have to be well written they have to be believable characters they have to relate to our human struggles and they have to be just plainly fun to watch they have to mm -hmm. really enjoy and connect with connect with the characters and and uh no it's really really good it's really really good this the the, the first episode rather two episodes part one and two um you know had a had a great arc of them discovering him and bringing ang in and it trans showing you know just the transforming effect that he has um and then when he gets captured the whole escape from the the, the ship and <laughs> it was just a joy that was like the most fun sequence of the entire I, thing yes i that that whole, you know, five minute sequence or whatever um, at the end of the episode when Aang is trying to escape from Zuko's ship is my favorite part of the two episodes. Um, yeah. Specifically when he goes all super Saiyan mode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Into the Avatar state and waterbends for the first time. Yeah. Um, because at that point, he doesn't know how to waterbend. Like he's yeah. never done that before. All he has is airbending. And so to see him do such an incredible feat of waterbending that even Katara is just absolutely shocked by, um, it's it's so cool. And it really just like, just shows what these benders are capable of mm -hmm. before they're even like, you know, really up to the master level that they'll get obviously by the end of the seasons or um, right. by the show. And yeah, just everything about that entire sequence of um, Aang escaping and I love, <laughs> I love when um, he wrecks Zuko. <laughs> he just literally. <laughs> oh, that was amazing! Where he just smashes up against the wall. And the, I, but I love that while he's doing this to him, Zuko's just like. <laughs> he's so done. <laughs> he's just like, yeah, yeah. I knew this was coming. I was really hoping this wouldn't happen, but here we are. Yes, <laughs> and it's even funnier because like. They don't really show it here, but um, you'll find out very soon that Aang is a pacifist. Like, he was raised by monks, and he believes in um, avoiding confrontation and fights and things like that, if mm. at all possible. And then here, he's just, like, fucking wrecking Zuko. <laughs> like, it's nothing. I <laughs> mean, having studied martial arts myself, I understand the entire concept of, you know, I want to avoid a fight. But if it's inevitable, we have to end it really fast. And that's exactly what he did. And it is, it, it, yeah. it, it, was, it was great. It was so good. So good. And that's actually a really good transition when you were talking about the martial arts for me to kind of explain to you and to anybody that might be listening that doesn't know the rule not the rules but the origin of bending um for the show and basically when the creators michael dino martino and brian Konitsko um were pitching this show they came up with this idea of not superpowers they didn't want it to be superpowers they wanted it to be bending which was different um, this is very much a spiritual uh, martial arts type style and each of the different bending elements, you know, water, earth, fire, air, they are all based off of different martial arts styles. And so you got water, which is Tai Chi. You have um, air bending, which is Bagua or circle walking. You have Hungar, which is going to be earth bending. And then you have Northern Shaolin style, which is fire bending. So you can see 
the thing about bending for me is that it looks real. Like it looks like something we as humans could do. And that's what they were going for. They wanted each of these fights and each of these bending movements to feel real and visceral. And they do because they were all rotoscoped. Um, so they actually really? planned out these fight scenes and they filmed real people doing them and then they just animated over them. And so, you wow. know, all of the different, yeah, all the different styles are implemented into the bending and you can really tell, like if you're watching, you know, for, for instance, um, Aang versus Zuko. So Bagua, which is the circle walking, it kind of is all about constant circle movements. You know, it's going to be, okay, I'm going to put my hand on Zuko's back and I'm going to stay behind him so that he cannot hit me. You know, I'm going to walk him in circles so that he cannot get a hold of me. Um, it's redirecting that energy. And obviously Zuko's just going crazy with the fire because he's trying to get him, but he can't get him. Um, and so, you know, that's a good kind of example of the bending being used and you can kind of see it. Um, and so just as we go forward, just kind of keep an eye out for that. You know, they start to get more into the bending disciplines and like, you know, they really get into the martial arts side of it, which is very fascinating. I love that kind of stuff. Um, cause again, it just makes it feel real. Like I could do that. Like, um, which, you know, when I'm watching superhero fights, I'm like, I can't, this is not real. Like this is the whole CGI, like, you know, big CGI battle coming up. <laughs> like, exactly. Like I can't do any of that, but like bending, I was one of those kids where I wanted to be a bender so bad that mm -hmm. I would memorize the movements and the fight scenes and I would kind of recreate them. Like I wanted to be, if I'm a waterbender guy, so like I was always copying Katara. Like I <laughs> love it so much, and it's just so cool to see it um, and to see like the behind the scenes footage footage of uh, the actual rotoscoping action that they did. Um, so yeah, that's that's a brief overview of bending, um, and I really like just kind of to come back to the scene. I love that we get to see that in action. Um, with the Aang versus Zuko fight, because they have completely different styles of fighting. And, you know, they've got their strengths and their weaknesses, and they just kind of play for that. So it's it's very, very cool how well thought out that kind of stuff is for me, and how it just continues to be well thought out throughout the series. So yeah, that's um, extremely cool. Yeah. yeah, I love when they do things like that. I love when they, you know, want to ground it in something realistic, you know, animation. Um, I've always appreciated in any sort of you know video games or or movies that are using CGI where they're using motion capture so that they're not creating something that looks rubbery or like a marionette. And I've complained about certain things in CGI and movies of Marvel and Star Wars where, where I wish they would have done something more practical than they did. Um, you know, for 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 things like that, <laughs> General Grievous, um, but. Uh, you know, uh, it, it, but focusing back on, on Avatar, it is really cool that they did that so that when you're looking at it, even if you have no idea, like I didn't, mm -hmm. have no idea that they used rotoscoping to do that, you know, it, it conveys it to you where I immediately am like, oh yeah, like it felt very tactile, it felt very natural and very organic to human movements, and there you are being like, well, surprise, they are human movements, and I'm like, ah, <laughs> makes sense, very Hi. clever. You, I see you. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's another little moment I love. Um, when you finally think that Aang is going to get off the ship, he's got his glider and he's like about to fly off the ship. And Zuko literally just, just jumps and grabs his leg. 
he launches himself off the bridge and just grabs him. <laughs> I'm just like, Jesus, Zuko. Like, See, it's, it's, so, it's so great because not only is it just a really funny, great moment, but also it, it, it shows us what Prince Zuko is capable of. Because one of my pet peeves in kid shows is ridiculously incompetent villains. Your good guys have your good guys have to win, but when they win by the writers undermining the the what is supposed to be the very realistic threat of the bad guys, if they have to make the bad guy look stupid and and incompetent in order for the good guys to win, it really just it undermines the entire thing. <laughs> Star Wars Rebels. Um, so oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. so, so. <laughs> wrong in you <laughs> i'm sorry i have so much salt i have so, so much salt there no but but that's the one of the triumphs then of this is that it established no that the villains are very real threats it took it took cooperation and it took the ingenuity and togetherness and teamwork of the good guys and it also took the very very fortuitous um situation of the villains underestimating the heroes you know which right. is of course you know the downfall of every great villain is just simply the the the, the good guys do something that the bad the, the bad guy did not expect to happen right so i'm very excited to see the way they the series is going to go um from here i know it's a great table setter the first uh episode here because now we know they're going to go off and travel to other lands and uh and i'm kind of excited to see like how the party of heroes is going to expand as well because you know along the way that they're going to meet other people and add them into their into their group mm -hmm. and so i'm really excited to see that too and how that plays against the characters already established yeah absolutely i'm very glad that you enjoyed it so like if you were to give this episode or these two episodes a ranking where would you rank them well, I don't think I have the rest of the series to wait against, but I'll kind of do like a, a one out of ten, just in general of everything I've watched here. Of like ten being the greatest episode of anything I've ever watched. Um, they were a lot of fun. Um, I have very high standards for what gets me a ten, and I oh. want to make sure I'm not just like overexcited about a cool new show. Um, I watch. I'm very selective on what I watch. Um, so I'm going to actually rate, I'm not going to do a one and two, I'm going to, because I kind of view the episode as being one whole thing. So I'm going to epi rate, uh, episodes one and two of mm -hmm. Avatar The Last Airbender a solid 7.5 out of 10. That's, that's a good one. I, I think that I would give, um, probably if I'm doing both together, I'd probably give it like a 7.5 two three out like I, I don't think it's quite 7.5 but i don't think it's just a solid seven either like yeah no. i think it's i think it's a strong start um but i think that once i think that the series as a whole really hits its stride like where you want to keep watching the episodes like back to back midway through season one and i actually i have an idea of the episodes where you are just going to be like not just watching it and enjoying it, but you are going to be like actively hooked. Like you yeah. will not be able to stop watching, and I, it's going to be the midpoint of season one. Uh, and I'm so excited to see what you we'll think of those. See. Yeah, we'll I'm not going to. 
Oh, yeah. No, I feel like, and in a way, I feel like uh, circling back to to the beginning of what we were talking about, where we read those IMDb ratings, I, I you know, I kind of believe that a lot of that's really retrospective, kind of honorary, like all oh, the first episode of one of the uh, first episodes of one of the one of the greatest animated series of all time, because it is, you know, very highly acclaimed. Um, and, I think when uh, I had a 9.3 on IMDb, like the series as a whole, yeah. which that is, I think, number seven total. Yeah. Like, I think, because I looked at the top uh, 250 shows of all time on Netflix, yeah. like rating-wise, and it was number seven. For like, a while, while it was, like, brand new on there, it was number one. So, I mean, huge. Yeah. Um, but I feel but I feel like the IMDb rating is very honorary more than anything else, because I, even to myself, I'm thinking to myself, there's not a show in the world that I've ever watched where I thought the first episode was the best episode, where I thought that it was like deserving of like a 10 out of 10. There's not, there's literally not a show I've ever watched where the first episode was the greatest because it would have been all the episodes were downhill from there. And I'm like, well, it wasn't any of the episodes as good as the first one. Not me with Moon Knight. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, not at all. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, yeah, no, uh, I really feel like it's honorary at that point. I think, honestly, you know, again, there's got to be a lot of room to be able to look at the best episode of the show. And when, when all the emotional weight of everything that's been happening is behind all the events, and we're just dying to see what happens, and there's the emotional payoff. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm relieving a lot of room for that. But very excited, very excited to see where the uh, next episode will take uh, Aang and Katara and Sokka, but more importantly, Prince Zuko. Yes, this, okay. this this show is kind of so far for me, it's kind of Avatar The Last Airbender, but I think in my mind I'm gonna be tuning in and be like, all right, time for another episode of Bend It Like Zuka. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm so glad that you liked it. That is a huge weight. <laughs> like I was so scared that like not that I, that I wasn't gonna like it. Well, just because, like, I don't know, I was, like, 95% sure that you were going to like it, but, you know, there is that 5% where I'm like, what if it just, what if he just doesn't like it? I don't know. What if know. he like, hates it? What if he doesn't want to do the podcast? What if he says this is terrible? <laughs> He's not going to want to do it anymore. Nah, no, <laughs> but I feel that great. that's not the case. <laughs> No, no, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of the heroic journey. I'm a big fan of good storytelling and strong characters. And, um, you know, a lot of things that, you know, we've, we've connected to it, you know, anime and, and Star Wars and things. It, it carries it through a lot of themes. And I'm already seeing those connections, you know, on all levels. And, and I'm really enjoying it so far. 7.5 out of 10. All right. Well, there you go, guys. That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.